Cloud and Clear, the podcast by SADA for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. All right, I'm very excited and happy today to have a very special guest. He's the founder and CEO of Cubol. And uh, welcome to Cloud and Clear, Ashish Duso. Thanks, Tony. Glad to be here and looking forward to the conversation. I'm really excited because there's so many things that uh, connect us, obviously, both being Google partners, you being on the tech side, us being on the go-to-market resale and, and technical side. You're also a SADA customer, which is fantastic. One of our favorite and endearing uh, SADA alumni, Aaron Friedman, is there now at uh, Q-Bull as well. So, <laughs> Yeah. And he's been awesome. He's fantastic. I was going to ask you, you know, for the record on our podcast, how's Aaron doing? Is he doing a good job? <laughs> fantastic. I mean, I love the guy, you know, he's full of energy, always pushing hard. Couldn't yeah. have asked a better person to be our interface with Google. And so, so all fantastic. I'm very proud of our alumni. Uh, so now he knows. Now he knows. We're giving, we're, we're giving him a live shout out on our podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> So Ashish, tell me a little bit more about your background before we jump into Q-Ball. I really like to understand. And, you know, we haven't uh, talked at length before. So it's sort of this is our way of getting to know one another, too. And you have a super interesting background, uh, worked in some incredible places. But do you want to tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, yeah. Happy to do that. So, uh, you know, before I started q uh, you know, this company, uh, q was started in 2011. So it's all it's been about eight and a half years. Uh, since we started it, but most of my background has been in the data industry. So I worked. I started off uh, working in Oracle uh, in the heydays of Oracle when databases were the you know I worked on data warehouses, so built out a lot of data warehousing systems. Yeah. And then I had good fortune to be at Facebook after that. I saw that. And uh, a lot of what has become mainstream today, what we call data lakes. Uh, was um, invented there as part of my team. Uh, I was involved, I was fortunate enough to be there uh, early on when many of these uh, paradigms were being just set up. Right. And uh, so, you know, did that, built out data infrastructure at Facebook, did a bunch of open source projects there. So got deep understanding of what is a data lake, how it is different from data warehouse. And then uh, in 2011, we set out to start Cubol. So most of my background has been in tech, uh, heavily into the data space. Uh, I've been in the ecosystem for more than 20 years around data and uh, data processing technologies. Uh, and uh, then Cubol was the first uh, startup that I did with my partner in crime, Joydeep. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, we've been uh, happily charging and uh, trying to bring our vision uh, to the world. Um, around data lakes and so on and so forth. You were you were very early in, uh, I guess, understanding the the value of data, uh, but also the challenges, right? I mean, it's it's not coincidental that companies like Facebook and I'm sure Google and others, sort of in the consumer space, were the first ones to face the types of uh, volume of data and also the very specific business need to make that data meaningful and actionable, real time. It's no coincidence, right? Hundreds of millions of users in a very active platform 
So it's it's uh, companies like Facebook, certainly, and of course, Google kind of hit those challenges before anybody, anybody did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, these companies were at the very uh, frontier of uh, the change that happened with data in the 2000s. So the basic change that happened is, you know, in the 90s, when uh, data warehousing was invented, all the data, most of the data used to be coming from business processes. Mm-hmm. So we had, uh, we had from the, in the 70s and the 80s and 90s, we spent a lot of time automating business processes. We used to get data from our, you know, uh, inventory management systems, you know, retail systems and so on and so forth. And that was the data being processed in data warehouse. Mm-hmm. In the 2000s, with the advent of, with the internet going more mainstream and with the invention of devices, uh, you know, and the invention of social media, the yeah. data changed its structure. You know, it became very interactive, very voluminous, mm-hmm. multifaceted. You know, you would have tweets, you would have images, you would have, uh, you know, uh, status updates, uh, very different from just the business process data. And these companies, Facebooks and the Googles of the world were at the very frontier of this revolution. So they got to see those data sets for the first time. Yeah. A lot of, lot of their product models were built on actually taking that data and creating advanced models out of that data to drive right. engagement. A lot of their monetization models were built on using data to drive targeting. Uh, yeah. So data... Basically, you know, if you think about Google and Facebook, these companies, yes, you know, they offer a particular platform to the users, but they're extremely data driven. Extremely. So, extremely data driven. So we, we joined, you know, Facebook, both myself and uh, Joydeep joined Facebook in 2007. That was when this revolution was just beginning. And so we were the, iPhone, the, the iPhone came out in 2007. That's right. That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's when all this revolution was very beginning. In the next four years, we saw things change dramatically in the landscape of how data should be treated. Uh, I have seen generations of companies come and grow, go, and some grow, some go away because shifts happened because of this. Uh, and, uh, you know, we got to see what a data lake means, what it can yeah. do, how complex it is. And that's, that's uh, you're right. You know, these companies were at the very frontier of that revolution. Look, it's, it's very clear who's going to win in this fourth industrial revolution with regards to which companies will be left standing from the old paradigm, who will continue to thrive and use their institutional and structural advantage to, um, uh, I guess, fight off all the sort of startups. And um, it's going to be the ones who are able to utilize data the best at the end of the day. I mean, there's no debate about that. There's no debate about that. I think in this day and age, data is the new oil. If you're not using your data assets, then you are actually doing disservice uh, to yourself, to to your ecosystem, and you will eventually wither away because yeah. every you there, there's another company that is being data driven. and A hundred of them. There's a hundred startups. For every industrial Fortune 100, there's a hundred startups who are extremely well-funded, who are trying to disrupt their space. It's just, we know because you and I serve both of them. We serve those startups and then we, we, we serve the Fortune 500. We, we, we see it. <laughs> Good news is that now, I think, uh, you know, if you think about this data revolution, say it started off in 2005-ish, 2006, the data lakes. The last 10 years have been predominated by these startups. But yeah. I now see some of these 
you know the the other companies catching up and learning from that and you know uh, you know agreeing yeah. with that is that if they don't use data then uh, they will get disrupted and literally we are seeing that in our sales pipeline we are seeing the type of customers that we are bringing in the last couple of years uh distinctly this data lake market as we call it uh is moving from what used to be the early adopters to the early majority yeah. and uh, that's a fantastic uh, that's a fantastic sign that people are adapting to it look so our audience is very broad uh just like me I'm on the sort of somewhat on the spectrum with regards to my technical acumen and understanding of this technology and one of my favorite thing about having guests like yourself which are one of the paramount experts in what we're talking about is to kind of educate the audience on what's going on right and I want to go back to Oracle for a minute because I think you know their their claim to fame is the re- the relational database so SQL the relational like that was revolutionary at the time but all of a sudden data structure wasn't so clear anymore and and actually relational databases started to break down under the volume of this data and all this sort of no sequel sort of stuff started happening etc so i think that's a super interesting paradigm shift but you know you're you're really passionate about creating a distinction between a data warehouse and data lake in your communication and go to market and market education so can you talk about that paradigm shift and what it really means in like the simplest terms yeah happy to do that so if you think about how most uh, data driven companies and i'm talking about the facebooks and the netflixes and you know lifts of the world they use data for three different types of applications one uh, one set of applications is looking at the past so you are you have the historical data and you want some you know dashboards and Uh, yeah. you know reporting of the past the second set of applications is looking at the present as the data is coming in in real time you are processing it and you are making decisions based on that and the third part is looking into the future which is where you know they are developing models to recommend things uh, or predict things for the future so uh, so those are the three applications of data uh the first one which is around looking at the past is what is predominated by data warehouses and bi your traditional bi right. all of that industry that emerged in the 90s is all dominating that that is where you see you know uh, companies like uh, teradata make their mark and that is where you see you know companies uh, the you know uh, snowflakes is squarely in that space redshift is squarely in that space and so on and so forth now these other set of applications which is around looking at data as it is coming in uh, and also doing model generation for data science that application uh, substrate has become a data lake that is what is a data lake that drives why why do they call it a data lake the it is called a data lake very good question it's called a data lake because in the case of a data lake all the data that you collect is dumped in raw formats so there is no preparation if you think about data uh, data warehouse the paradigm in data warehouse was you get all the raw data you know this could be csv yeah. files text files whatever then you run what is called an etl process which is extract right. from and load the data to give them a structure and then that structure would get loaded into a data warehouse i remember data cubes right all the stuff right like yeah yeah very structured because you're taking all the raw data and you're processing it and refining it and then putting that structure in your database and it might take days in the past or weeks it would take a long time to perform these processes right it could take a long time 
plus suddenly and it, it it would take a long time but when you are reporting on the past you know those things don't matter as much uh but when you are doing things in real time and when you are you know uh, you, you know creating models for predicting the future then you need not just that refined data but you need all of the data because you don't know which data set would you yeah. you would use which you would yeah. discard so yeah. data lakes emerged in which all the data in its raw format was dumped so there was no etl process the paradigm of data engineering completely changed all the data is available there uh, in the data lake it was not just sql users but programmatic users would also come in so you would have sql interface into a data lake to do ad hoc analysis but you would have programmatic python based interface or apache spark has become very popular or tensorflow is becoming very popular Mm-hmm. for uh for adva- for uh, for deep learning you would have all these interfaces available on a single platform but working off of raw data and when the users of these uh, different interfaces so first of all there are multi different personas coming in and when they would need different more data or different types of data you know they would do continuous data engineering they essentially because all the raw data is there it's not like a warehouse where there's some structured data which is present and the raw data has been discarded all the raw data is there they are doing con- continuous data pro- engineering so there was this paradigm shift that is why it's called a data lake it is differentiated from the warehouse because yeah. all the raw data is stored the data is stored in raw formats there is more than sql that happens on these things and uh in terms of data engineering it is continuous data engineering there's not a waterfall etl process right. i think that is why there's a distinction that is why i carved that out as a distinction between what is a data warehouse and what is a data lake by the way our position is that the companies need both it is not one sure. or the other sure. for traditional uh you know di and all that stuff data warehouse is fantastic go use you know redshift snowflake whatever you want to use but when it comes to uh data lakes then you need a uh, you know a different uh platform and that is where kubol plays and you know that is where you have data prog and there are a whole bunch of other uh you know uh uh products in that space so what does kubol bring to the table that you feel again you had this vision years ago and you might have pivoted a couple of times i don't know you've been around very long time but um what is uh kubol's perspective what does it offer to the market that's very unique and um as a result of your experiences then i want to talk about the trends that you're seeing with your customers so kubol's vision fortunately has stayed the same since we started and it doesn't happen much in yeah. you know the, the things change so rapidly that it doesn't happen much and people, companies have to pivot and so on and so forth but the vision when we started off we thought that data lakes are going to go mainstream that vision has has changed uh, has uh, remained the same throughout what has changed is uh you know the market has become more mainstream so in the early days of kubol for example we would sell to you know the uh, uh, what were called the data native companies or the cloud native companies they were very advanced companies mm-hmm. like of the worlds and stuff like that uh now we are as i mentioned that data lake market is moving from those early adopters to an early majority and the needs for the early majority is around simplicity uh enterprise grade platform open platform and efficiency that is what they want you know yes. uh, the early majority is all about uh you know tinkering give you know give me control mm-hmm. give me the open source mm-hmm. project that open source project and so on and so forth 
so in response to that we have also uh, you know we have heavily focused you know our platform has essentially focused heavily on number one being open so everything in cubol adheres to the fact that uh, adheres to the principle that the data and the metadata is all in open formats so there's no lock in mm-hmm. no vendor lock in mm-hmm. the api processing nice. frameworks are all open uh, open source standards so there's no vendor lock in from that perspective and the platform is also uh, agnostic in terms of where you want to run it in you know mm-hmm. uh, on whichever cloud you want to run it so that is openness that's very important the second part is being enterprise grade platform what that means is a lot of focus in cubol has been uh, around automating operations so you don't need experts to run the stuff mm-hmm. a lot of focus in cubol has been in building consumption tools so we have things like notebooks built into a platform we have connectors to tableau and the lookers of the worlds mm-hmm. to come to a platform just to simplify consumption uh, they should come from the interfaces that they have they should come there in a in a simple way governance is a big part of uh, you know enterprises uh, whether it is uh, cost governance or whether it is security as to who sees mm-hmm. what and stuff like that all of that is built into the cubol platform and the third part then comes is when you know we are very good at uh, at scale because when you are in, you have we have enterprise deployments which have more than 4000 users worldwide that's a lot in such a big scale and you have all different types of workloads data science workloads data engineering workloads analytics workloads coming onto this data lake costs and efficiency uh, both scale as well as efficiency becomes important and that is also a place where we do very very well you know the infrastructure uh we can typically cut down that by about 50% so those are the three things but in a nutshell we have really focused on how to simplify the com- how to take out the complexity from a data lake so that enterprise uh, you know users and these early majority users can use it and uh, get the same benefits that you know companies like lyft and the facebooks and the netflixes of the world have been doing for years and that's really right. what i That's fantastic. Yeah, look, I think uh cloud in general has democratized capability and it, that's one of the reasons you have, you know, 100 startups competing for every sort of market because the barrier to entry with regards to technology just essentially doesn't exist, partly because of the broad scale public cloud providers, but also partly because of solutions like Cubol, which is sort of compressing the the algorithm with regards to experience and engineering capability and data science capability like you know you're you're shortening the path for so many of your customers that they can get to somewhere within weeks or months what it took another company 5 years to to achieve that is very true and cloud has been a partner for us since day one you know cubol is a cloud company all of this stuff we have built the entire platform is a cloud platform and uh, you're absolutely right you know cloud was built on uh enabling agility for businesses right. you know in the yeah. data center world everything was slow you know i remember when i was building out this infrastructure at facebook even for a company like facebook we had to wait months to get the hardware yeah so it was it was the process and god help you if uh, you know the demand was always there and demand was always stripping the supply outstripping yeah. the supply and uh, yeah. it was very hard with the cloud that the entire dynamic changed We work with customers that we need to run complex migration processes or whatever, and 
especially in the enterprise, it still sort of boggles our mind when we're like, okay, we need these type of machines. They're like, okay, great, four weeks for that. Or can you open these ports on the firewall? They're like, we'll put it in a ticket. Two weeks from now, we'll open those ports. I'm like, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? The brilliance of the cloud was that all these physical things, they change into an API call. Exactly, exactly. Like networking is software, security is software, infrastructure is software, infrastructure is code, right? It's it's pretty amazing. So that is what the substrate we built on. And, you know, we just made sure that the data lake experience became even simpler using all the goodness that, that, cloud, uh, that cloud provides. So in 2011 or 2012-ish, you said you were sort of born in the cloud yourself. So... Was it just AWS back then, or how did you? What did it run on first? We, as with everyone else, we started on AWS. Twenty eleven was basically AWS. This was even before AWS came out public with their numbers. I think I distinctly mm-hmm. remember the world changed for two, for us in two thousand fourteen. But then, very early on, we also, uh, you know, envisioned that the cloud world is going to diversify. It is. You know, back then, I think it was the whole IT infrastructure market was like a $600 billion industry. It is impossible for a single vendor uh, and uh, to to satisfy that industry. And plus, I think everybody needed choice. I agree. Yeah, very early on, we then, uh, you know, went to Azure. We did start working with GCP back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, in the last two years, we have really, really... Uh, you know, focused on deepening our relationship with GCP uh, and building strong partnership there. You know, we are, as you know, we are one of the seven tech partners, top tier tech partners with them. There's only seven and you're one of seven. I mean, that's pretty fantastic. That's right. And we do a lot of work with them. We have a lot of good success with them. Uh, So that's how our cloud journey sort of evolved. Like with everybody else, it was AWS first. And then it, then it evolved with the other clouds. And with GCP, we are particularly doing a lot of, lot of good, strong, strategic work. What have you seen a change in terms of the demand? I mean, there's sort of a market demand and there's a the technology itself, right? There could be a couple of different drivers for your, I think, uh, accelerated investment in, in GCP as a platform and as a partnership with Google Cloud. What has driven those deepening investments? There are two, uh, few things, actually. Uh, number one, uh, I think uh, you know, each of these cloud vendors, by the way, have their strengths and their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. GCP's particular strength is analytics. And GCP's particular strength is the performance and efficiency of their hardware. You know, they've, they've spent a lot of, uh, you know, uh, basically what Google runs on, they've essentially brought that to the rest of the market. It's been built by very top class engineers and so on and so forth. So when we started talking to those teams, essentially we figured out that uh, you know there are certain needs in that market that we can uh, you know we can uh, fulfill. For example, the need for a data lake platform, uh, which is enterprise grade, which can support a lot of uh, uh, you know enterprise type of users, that was there. And so we started talking to their teams and uh, that's how that partnership sort of uh, gelled with them. So, you know, if you are looking for a platform which is simple to operate, which is simple to use, which has got, you know, high amount of efficiency and so on and so forth, then the Google teams work with us. 
to you know bring those use cases on GCP and a lot of use cases, a lot of these use cases are actually moving from on-prem to the cloud mm-hmm. because increasingly people are realizing that it's so much simpler. Yeah, absolutely. Easier to do this on the cloud than on-prem uh, stuff, and that's where we are essentially deepening the partnership. So I think it was both the market demand because of the good work that GCP has done in analytics as well as in you know hardware efficiencies. And it was also the fact that we could help in certain areas, in certain use cases uh, on the GCP ecosystem itself, uh, which led to that work. Yeah, yeah, we have several tech enablement companies like Cubal as customers. And uh, one, of the, one of our first uh, was, uh, was Realtio and they're in the MDM space, right? And I think it was kind of one of our first GCP deals um, that was meaningful. Um, in ambition and scale, and, and we learned a lot with them, and they're still our, our great customer. And and what they were telling us even back then, and of course they're kind of uniquely for their retail customers, this was specifically true. But they were actually getting customers demanding to be on GCP or wanting to be on GCP or not wanting an, another option. Are you seeing customers, your own customers, saying we want to run on GCP or we have GCP? Are you seeing an increase in that kind of motion? Most, most certainly that is happening. I think, and we have seen this market, uh, you know, since last eight years, the first four years, uh, say from 2011, say till 2015 or 16, uh, not much pull was happening for GCP, right. but in the last two, three years, a lot of pull has happened, including, mm. you know, clients who have been on other clouds saying that, you know, we want to diversify or we want to move certain things over. Uh, So we have seen that. And, uh, you know, uh, we have also seen clients, net new clients who are essentially coming from on-prem and saying that, uh, you know, GCP is what they want to go with. So there's certainly, we see that in the pipeline, we see that in our customer base, we have a lot of, you know, successful customers on GCP now uh, than what we had you know, even a year back. Yeah. And all of that is testament to the fact that there is definitely market demand, market pull for GCP uh, that has built up. And, you know, that is healthy for the entire cloud ecosystem as well. Yeah. No, we're like, we're seeing similar things, but of course we kind of live in a somewhat of a bubble um, and we're somewhat biased. <laughs> uh, obviously we're seeing our growth rates and the increase in demand, but it's interesting to always speak with uh, our, our partners and customers who run a very agnostic, somewhat agnostic approach, which I think, by the way, is the right approach um, to kind of get a pulse of what they're doing. And, and I agree with you. Look, the world will be a multi-cloud world. It will be a hybrid world for a very long time. There's technical reasons for that. There's business uh, commercial reasons for that. There's regulatory reasons for that. All sorts of reasons. And I actually appreciate Google's posture and position on this subject because I think they're the most bold with Anthos and that whole strategy of saying, look, we want to build the be- the best operating pa- uh, uh, pane of glass, the best operating platform for um, all clouds, including being on-premise. And we, we think we're the best, but uh, we want to earn that business. Like you move it to GCP when you want to, but meanwhile, run it anywhere you want. I, I just love the confidence and the commitment to openness, which is very important for you at Cubal as well. It's just such a, 
I don't know. I just I just love that um, that market approach. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. Actually, Kubernetes is another thing which has really changed the world. Yes, invented invented at Google, by the way, and open source to the world. Yes, that's absolutely right. And we used to think, you know, back when we started Kubol, we had this vision that uh, you know we'll focus on cloud uh, architecture, which is which means compute is automated. It's an API call. Everything is an API call. So mm-hmm. storage and compute are separated out. And so you can do a lot of flexible things, a lot of automation and stuff like that. We used to always be on a lookout of, okay, how is that going to, uh, you know, will that architecture go into the data center someday? Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of, uh, you know, things which came and, you know, there was, uh, uh, you know, there were a lot of uh, open source projects, bunch of open source projects that came uh, OpenStack was one. I think Kubernetes has really made that possible now. Totally. You know, the same, the same sort of agility that I was talking to you about, like when in Facebook, you know, you used to wait for months, many, many times months, even for Facebook was a very agile company, fast moving company. I can just shudder to imagine what would happen in other enterprises, but even there yeah. you had to wait months uh, yeah. to get hardware. With Kubernetes, I think the agility of the cloud can be brought into uh, data centers as well. Absolutely. So cloud is, and you know, Google has a front role to play there. Google is actually leading that uh, transformation where bringing the cloud or uh, cloud-like architecture per- to make it pervasive, I think is a very, very bold move and it's a fantastic yeah. uh, thing for the market. And, and not in a proprietary way, in an open way, which I think is the key and Google understands this sort of better than anyone probably of how important that is. And, um, and, you know, enterprises are getting super ambitious with Kubernetes. First, it was like, it's only for stateless stuff. And now people want to put non-stateless things in there. And uh, I think, obviously, our capabilities in the platform um, uh, and the stack has to evolve to support that. But it is panacea, I believe, for customers to have that level of flexibility, that level of confidence in uh, their peaks and valleys of demand. And it's, it's really exciting. And again, I'm super bullish on Anthos. We've invested a lot here. We're seeing all sorts of super interesting use cases. I can't talk about some of these customers, but they're talking about some amazing, amazing stuff that if that, you know, if it happens, it'll be like kind of once in a lifetime type of opportunities. We have, we have, we have seen that demand as well, you know, around, yeah. around Anthos, around Kubernetes, um, and uh, I, I think uh, that is yet another way in which obviously Google is changing the industry uh, mm-hmm. and the market, uh, but it's also yet another way how cloud architecture is becoming pervasive. Exactly. And, uh, that is fantastic for, yeah. for all cloud vendors. That is fantastic for companies like us, which are cloud native. Uh, and that is most importantly fantastic for the customers because you know they're getting that agility which was lacking, and they can now make strategic choice of whether they want to be on a public cloud or they want to yeah. be on the cloud data centers. And again, satisfy their board of directors, satisfy their regulatory environment, and all those things, which is which is amazing. Um, let me ask you about more about the company itself. You're a co-founder, you're a CEO. Um, we live in parallel, you know, universes kind of together and in, in, in we've been, you know, doing this now 19 years, but have evolved quite a bit. You've been on a singular mission that you've proved to be on the right side of history so far. And I, I think that's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be something that continues for you as well. 
But what do you think about as you look forward in the next five years? What are your biggest, what do you um, worry about the most? We live in the tech space. And the thing about tech space is that things change very, very quickly. You know, it used to be the case where it would take 20 years to build a company. It would last for another 20 years. This is the IBM era, right? Uh, and maybe more than that, right? Now things change every three, four years. So what, what I focus a lot on is how to be, how to continue charting the course for Qbol as the ecosystem changes. And as mentioned, right. you know, we've, we've been very lucky that our vision has not changed, that our direction has not changed. But over the years, we have had to make adjustments uh, as to, you know, as the ecosystem changes. So I think that is the number one thing that I, that we focus on. Uh, we have been very lucky here to have some great leaders uh, who are thought leaders who understand the space heavily. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about where is the market headed? Uh, you know, where is the cloud headed? What is happening there? Uh, you know, are there certain changes happening in the data lake market itself in terms of requirements and stuff like that? So we spend a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of time on, on that. Uh, yeah. And so far we've been able to navigate that. So I think that is where, you know, I spend a lot uh, of effort. The second part is about, uh, uh, you know, you know, all said and done, data lakes are still uh, in the, now they're moving from early adopters to early majority. I want to continue to see that transformation happening like in, uh, you know, Jeffrey Moore's uh, crossing of, you know, crossing the chasm analogy, yeah. you know, from early majority it needs to get to late majority and stuff like that. So I've read about what can the company do? What can Qbol do as a company to help accelerate that transformation? Mm -hmm. You know, can we, can we give, uh, you know, help to our clients to help uh, transform that, uh, you know, become more data driven, become more, uh, have a data lake architecture, do this on the cloud. I think that's very, that's very important. I'm glad to hear you say that because I feel like, yes, we're riding on the shoulders of, uh, major trends and um, riding on the shoulders of giants, etc. But we can't be passive <laughs> and opportunistic. Like we have to be out there creating the market, pushing the market forward. And it's a very different type of behavior than uh, in the past, I think. Like, and because of your market position, our market position, like it's actually, I feel duty bound <laughs> to help. I feel like the large enterprises need our help. It's an existential moment for them. And I feel like the startups need our help because what we tend to do is very suitable for their needs and what they can accomplish. And I almost look at it as a bigger mission of economic contribution, job creation, economic output, all, all those things. I, I feel like it's very tunnel vision to think like it's just about riding the wave. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. Since day one, Qbol, you know, there are, uh, you know, back when I was on Facebook, there used to be this uh, saying, I learned it there, but I think it's generally true, that there are missionary companies or mercenary companies. Yeah. <laughs> we are certainly a missionary company. We are on a, uh, on a goal. We have seen this transformation firsthand at Facebook, and we want to make sure that every company out there partakes into this transformation. I am 100% with you that we have a big role and a responsible role to play in driving this transformation. And uh, my, uh, you know, all, uh, all our folks at Qbol are aligned on that. 
that this is a transformation that we need to drive. And uh, the things that we think about and talk about is how do we accelerate this transformation? What can we do to help our clients get the benefits of a data lake architecture? What can we do to help our clients to leverage the cloud architecture suitably to get there? Uh, how can we take the pain away and make them just focus on, uh, you know, on really the top line things, use the data for driving their top line or their bottom line, whatever the optimization is, whatever their business needs are, how can we use that uh, to make that simpler so that they can focus there and we take away all the pain uh, that is uh, that is there in running these platforms or, you know, making these platforms available and so on and so forth. Like one of the key components of the economic realities of uh, cloud and consumption economics and subscription economics is that we're forced to actually behave differently. We're forced to have to earn the right to keep our customers and grow our customers by providing value way beyond their first decision to adopt Kubo, for instance. And, um, and I love that it incents all the right behavior because it brings out the best in us and we can't win unless our customers win. They won't continue unless there's ROI. They won't stay unless they feel extremely supported. So I think the customer experience is, is, is so vital. And I love that cloud has, has really brought this to, to the forefront for companies like us who relish on customer success, love technical account management, love client partner relationships, you know, and, and I, and I and I love this multi-year journey with our customers because I feel like when something they achieve something and it's you know it's a Super Bowl commercial or it's some kind of a press release or it's an earnings report I feel like we played a small role there <laughs> and it's very fulfilling for me. Yeah, the same here. Absolutely true, and you're absolutely spot on. The, you know, the cloud one is the technology uh, innovation, but the business model innovation has been fantastic. And that yeah. has driven that behavior. You know, there used to be the case where, you know, in the licensing software case, there was a lot of shelfware. You worked at Oracle. You know all about shelfware. With the cloud model, you're right. You have to earn the trust every day. Every day. Trust. And that is the right incentive. I love the pressure. I think it brings out the best in us. It is a mentality which I think you seem philosophically aligned naturally. And I feel that same way about uh my role and our role of our executive team and the type of people we attract here. And I think the best is yet ahead. Um, I feel like we have a great duty and responsibility. And if we do it right, I mean, what I also see is relatively unlimited demand for cloud and, and solutions like Kubel for the next decade. The only question you and I have to solve for is how do we continue to become the supplier of choice and stay the supplier of choice? We're extremely blessed to be in a market where there's virtually unlimited demand, that the only thing you have to focus on is truly just execution. Right place, right time, but you have to execute. Thank you so much. We'll end on that very positive, amazing note. You've been a great guest. I've learned a lot about you, but also about data lakes. <laughs> I look forward to being partners uh, uh, together and supporting each other in our joint journey. And uh, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Tony. This has been a fantastic conversation and uh, thank you for inviting me here. And I also learned a bunch of things here. So we are both in the same business of making our clients really, really successful. And we'll continue to look forward to partnering with you on that. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. 
check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.